How is everybody? Good, good. Okay, hey, you have to get up and say hi to someone that you've never met before. All right, there you go. All right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun to watch the introverts in the room when we do this. <laughs> All the people who are here and they're just like, God, I don't want to talk to anybody. And then we make each other talk, you know, and talk to each other. It's fun. It's always fun to see that. So the introverts squirm. <laughs> so good times. Okay. So if you've never been here before, uh, we've been working through the gospel of John. You'll, you'll be happy to know. After today, we will be more than halfway through. It only took us four months to get there, right? But uh, we'll be halfway through the gospel of John after today. We're in chapter 11 today. If you weren't with us, uh, if you've never been here before, what we do is we do whole books of the Bible, verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter, and try to work our way through them the best we can. And um, last week, when we were in chapter 10, we talked about this. Jesus told a parable, which is just a simple story to prove a point, right? And in this parable, Jesus talked about sheep following the good shepherd. And so we asked ourselves last week, and I know in our, our modern day culture to say we're a sheep is almost a derogatory term, but we asked ourselves, are we following Jesus? Are we sheep following the good shepherd, right? And then we asked, if we are sheep following the good shepherd, are we beginning to look more and more like him? Talking like him, acting like him, responding like him. At least we should be eventually turning into, conforming into the ways of Jesus, okay? Our, our good shepherd. This week we're going to talk about this very, very famous chapter of the Bible, chapter 11. We're not going to get all the way through it. We'll almost get all the way through it. But we're going to talk about this idea, this thought, that in a world that exudes death, not just death, but apathy, distraction, sleep, right? Like not being alert, uh, being selfish, being self-consumed. In a world that exudes those things, we need God to make sure that we understand what it means to truly live, okay? That we understand what it means to truly live. That's going to be the theme that I hope to kind of touch base with towards the end of this lesson, all right? So, you should have a notes handout in front of you. Has practice. Hey, and by the way, if you were here last week, it was packed in this room. We added 100 chairs, so like now you don't have to like, you know, if you are that introvert, you can have maybe a space in between you and the person next to you. A little bit good, right? Got a little bit more space in here, so you're welcome. So, anyways, um, you should have a notes handout in front of you. If you have a Bible, the book of John is the fourth book of the New Testament, um, so it's very, very easy to find. If you have not been with us, it's very easy to catch up and read the first 10 chapters of John, and you can catch right up with us. But uh, if it's your first time here, welcome, and we'll dive into this, and we'll see what happens. Let me pray for us, and we'll get into it, okay? Um, Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I just want to tell you thank you for everyone in this room, Lord. If there are people in this room who are not believers, and maybe this is their first time in a church or the first time in a long time in a church, I'm just really, really happy that they're here, God, and I pray that something today just peaks in interest or maybe provokes them to, to want to dig a little bit deeper and, and maybe something we've said today, God. Uh, for all the people in this room who are believers, Jesus, I pray that you just open up our ears and our eyes and help us understand and to grow deeper in our faith. Lord, we pray that you bless every church in our community, every nonprofit in our community, God, that we advance your kingdom, Lord, through these churches and through these nonprofits, God, and pray that you're the one that gets the glory and the attention, not us, God. Lord, we love you, Jesus. I'm a very imperfect person trying to teach a very perfect Bible, God, and very, about a very perfect God. So, Lord, I just need your help today. Give me the right words and help me to say the right thing. We love you. 
We lift you up and we praise you, God, and it's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, guys, I'm going to start in chapter 11. The first section's a little lengthy. Bear with me, and we'll do our best to break it down. Okay, here we go. Now, a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, that means teacher, the disciples told him, uh, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you want to go there again? Aren't there 12 hours in a day, Jesus answered? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. I love that. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, or in your translation may say Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let's go so we may die with him. Talking about Jesus. So if you've been with us for any length of time, in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus do some crazy miracles, right? See him do some pretty nutty stuff to prove that he is the Savior. The most recent was there was a blind guy. Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, smears it on his face. He washes it off. He can see. In this chapter, we're going to see, though, that Jesus is going to take it up a notch. He's going to extend the miraculous past this life and extend his hand into the afterlife. Now, just for clarity and just as kind of a side note, death is the enemy of God, and death is the enemy of mankind. Death was not God's original intention. It's a result of man's sin and rebellion, and ultimately, one day, God will completely abolish death. So we need to have it in our head that death is not our friend. Death is an enemy, an enemy to us and an enemy to God, and God's about to deal with it a little bit in this chapter. So we have some new characters that are introduced in the story. If you've been with us for a while, we've been focusing a lot on Jesus, his disciples. There's been some kind of other characters come in, and now we see some new ones. There's a little bit of debate, but most people believe the Mary mentioned in this chapter is Mary Magdalene, very, very famous. And what she's famous for, amongst other things, but one of the main things she's famous for is Mary had a very, very expensive uh, alabaster box of perfume. There's, you know, white diamonds or whatever in there. And so, um, <laughs> that's funny, guys. Anyways, I don't care if you laugh or not. That was really witty on my part. Anyways, so <laughs> Mary had this really expensive perfume, and she breaks it open, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. That was a very famous story. In fact, mentioned in all four Gospels. John doesn't go into detail because by the time he wrote his gospel, pretty much everyone would have known this story. So he says, this is Mary, the woman that broke the perfume box and wiped off Jesus' feet. And they would have known exactly what he was talking about. So we're introduced to Mary, 
to Martha, her sister, and their brother, a guy named Lazarus, who obviously Jesus and Lazarus were pretty close friends. And so they sent a message to Jesus saying, Lazarus, the one you love, is extremely sick. Now listen, if we hear that someone we love and we're very close to is extremely sick, the first thing we do is we hop in our car or we start walking that direction or we hop on a bus or whatever we have to do to get to where that person is. Oddly enough, when Jesus hears this, he chills out for two more days. He doesn't move. And they wait two more days before they leave to go see Lazarus. And we start to see why he's doing this. Why would he be delaying this? And he says, the sickness is not going to result in death. It's going to glorify God. Now listen, this is hard for us to understand. It's difficult for us to grasp, but any crisis that brings glory to God is good. Let me give you an example. Um, man, it's been four or five years ago. Our church was much smaller at the time. We were meeting right off the square. We had a little bitty building and there was a girl who was a senior at Siegel High School that came to our church. Really sweet girl, beautiful girl, smart girl, straight A's, just a good kid, right? She was on her way to a football game one time, was texting and driving, ran off the road, got into a wreck and died, okay? I was asked to do her funeral. And at the time when I was asked to do her funeral, we had... Very few high school kids come into the church, maybe 10 or 15, something like that. Our church was very small, maybe two, 300 people, and there wasn't a lot coming, but I was asked to do her funeral. Not only was I asked to do her funeral, where it was a big funeral, but the principal of Siegel High asked me to come and speak to the senior class. And I asked him, I said, well, what do you want me to talk about? He goes, tell him the gospel. It's like, okay. And so I went into Siegel High School, and I got to talk to six or 700 students about Jesus, which is unheard of, right? So the result of that was this. We started having a ton of kids from Siegel High School start coming to our church. We baptized probably 30, 40 kids from that high school. Some of them went into the mission field. Some, yeah, some of them went into the mission field. All this great stuff started happening because this girl had, had passed away. So I gave her mom my cell phone number. And we became very good friends, her mom and I. And I remember her mother would call me sometimes at 3 o'clock in the morning and she'd say, Corey, why did my daughter die? I love God, but I don't understand. Why did she die? And I would say, Tina, I don't, I don't completely know why she had to die, but let me tell you what's happened since she died. I said, we baptized 35, 40 kids from her school. We have kids who are interested in ministry now, and they're going out and reaching the lost. And we've seen this astronomical growth in our church, and it was this catalyst to propelling all these people to have a relationship with Jesus. And though I don't understand it, I said to her, look, I know this is awful. I know this is a crisis, but if it glorifies God, it's good. And if we, if we think that, that miraculous healing is the only good outcome for the situation we're going through, we kind of limit God sometimes. God can take all situations and work them out to his glory and for the benefit of those that love him, Romans 8. But we have to trust him. And sometimes in the middle of the situation, it's hard to see that, guys, if we're just being honest with each other. Okay, so... Jesus says, our friend Lazarus is sick. He's asleep. I need to go wake him up. Let's go to Judea. Now the disciples were like, okay, we just left Judea. That's the area near Jerusalem. He said, and they tried to kill us twice there. So they're like, Jesus, you know, we love Lazarus too, but, but they want to murder us over there. So why are we going that way? And Jesus said, well, there's 12 hours in a day. And what he means by that is, he says, as long as we're walking in God's will, we're walking in the light. And if we're walking in the light, we're not going to mess up. 
We're gonna be okay, God's gonna protect us. He was also saying that while we're walking in the light, we have to be very intentional about the work we do. That means for us, every hour of the day that we have needs to be used for the glory of God. And whatever we're doing, then we need to be intentional and we need to make sure that we do it on purpose, right? And so again, my favorite line in this whole chapter, he says, our buddy Lazarus is asleep and I'm on my way to wake him up. Now that's a euphemism. What that means is this, many times in the New Testament, when it was referring to death, they would say sleep. And that's actually where we get our word cemetery from the Greek word for sleep is where we get our word cemetery. Now the disciples didn't get what he was saying. They're just like, well, Jesus, if he's asleep, he's gonna wake up. Why do we have to travel all the way? And since they didn't get it, Jesus turned around and he goes, Lazarus is dead, right? He had to put it to him plainly. He's dead, guys. He's not asleep. I was talking about death. Now, here's the thing. When we think of death in these terms, as a Christian, death is not creepy for us, or at least it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a fearsome place, but it's a time of sleep until Jesus wakes us up again. This last year, Josh and I did way too many funerals. There was a five-week span, four or five-week span, where between the two of us, we did six funerals in a month. That's way too much. I would see the guys at Woodfin, and those guys would talk to me, like, hey, pastor, and they made a joke, like, we see each other too often, and I'm like, absolutely we do. There was just so much going on. But if one is a believer, we're not afraid of death. Maybe we're afraid of what we leave behind for our family, for our kids, but death should not fear, uh, make us fearful or overwhelm us. And so we're introduced to another character, and I feel sorry for this character. Thomas kind of gets a bad rap. Like, we call him Doubting Thomas. We have a tendency to pick on people in the Bible a lot, right, because we're like morally superior to them, we think. And so we pick on some of these people. And so Jesus says, I'm glad that we weren't there while Lazarus was, was sick because something miraculous is going to happen. That's what he says. There's going to be this opportunity for your faith to grow. And he's referring to this miraculous thing that's going to happen. But this is us, guys. Since they were going into dangerous territory against circumstances outside of human ability, they were pessimistic. And the chief pessimist was a guy named Thomas. And it's kind of humorous. He's like, well, they're going to kill Jesus. Let's go die with him. That's what he says. They're going to get him. Let's just go with us. And so we kind of pick on Thomas because he doubted. But what we also see in Thomas is actually some really good qualities. Thomas had a lot of guts. He was pessimistic, but he's like, man, if he's going to die, we're going to go with him. He had a lot of guts. Not only a lot of guts, he was very, very loyal. And every believer in Christ needs to be brave and we need to be loyal. These are two good qualities. And listen, if we're just being honest with ourselves when we're so judgmental over people in the Bible, we need to be honest. Every single one of us will look in the mirror at some time in our Christian walk and say, are we crazy? All of us at some time are going to say, man, the situation is too big for us to handle. I don't know how it's going to work. Here's what true faith is, though. True faith is not us having all the answers. True faith is knowing who does have all the answers and just making sure we're behind that guy. That's true faith. Are we on our way to our death? I guess we are, but I trust that he's going to lead us in the right direction, right? I don't have all the answers, but I know that he does, and I'm just going to get behind him. Next part. So when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem. It was like a suburb of a big city, basically, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. 
As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. When Martha said to Jesus, then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. So, Lazarus was obviously a popular guy. Um, they were in a small town about two miles away from a very big city. Okay, again, so kind of like a suburb of a big city. And his funeral had taken place four days prior, but the mourners were still hanging out. So a lot of people loved this guy and his family. Very similar to a funeral today. We often do visitations before the funeral. This would have taken place kind of after, and people were just linger, lingering around. They were coming by the sister's house. They were consoling him, probably bringing him food and just taking care of him, okay? So that's kind of the scene. And what we see in this scene is we see the setup for one of the greatest conversations in the New Testament, a very great conversation. Martha leaves her home when she hears that Jesus is coming, uh, coming near, and she kind of rebukes him. She's upset. Her brother just died. So she runs up to Jesus and she says, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now we see that she doesn't lack faith because she even mentions, she goes, but I believe even now that whatever you ask of God he will give you. Jesus had actually, had actually resurrected two other people before Lazarus. Spoiler alert, Lazarus is going to get resurrected. But he had resurrected two other people. Sorry about that. I just ruined the movie, right? <laughs> two other people were resurrected before him, and Martha knew those stories. She knew that. Listen, listen how much this touches home. Martha believed that God could do anything, but she wasn't sure that God would do it for her. Isn't that all of us? I believe God can heal people. I believe God can fix your marriage and your finances and all your issues. But sometimes when it comes to me, I'm like, oh, I don't know if God can do that for me. If we're just being honest. And so we see Martha's not too far from us. So what was going on is all the people mourning this death of Lazarus, they had a similar mindset to death like we often do. You guys, if you, if, you were to, if you were to think about it, all of us know someone who left their faith because someone died unexpectedly or they died at a young age or something like that. Almost all of us have a story of someone doing that. And what we tend to think is we think if Jesus was really God or if he was at least a good God, he would have prevented physical death because that's his job. And like us, they treated death like that was the end. Like that was the defeat or that was a sign that God had deserted them. Listen, death is difficult to understand. But if we believe in Christ, death is not the end for us. We've got it backwards. We believe that we're bodies with a soul. We're not. We're souls with bodies. Our souls live on forever. This dies. This is temporary. And we all know that. Even if we live to our fullest, the Bible says 120 years, that's still a very short time, not just in eternity, but in human history. It's a very short time. So we need to know that this is going to come to an end. It's our soul that we really need to be concerned about. But in the middle of this conversation, Jesus even looks at Martha and he says, hey, your brother's going to rise again. And Martha's response is, she goes, I know, Jesus, when you come back, we're all going to rise again. 
And he's like, no, I'm talking about right now. But there is an important point that he brings up in this part. He restates the most important thing for Jesus is this. He says, the one that believes in me, even if he dies, will live even if they die. So listen, our first priority, it was Jesus's first priority and it needs to be Christianity's first priority, is we are to focus on people's spiritual health even before we address their physical health. Is the church called to feed the the, the poor and to clothe the naked? Of course we are, that is something we do. But if we have to pick between social justice and teaching people who Jesus is, we need to teach people who Jesus is. Because again, this is going to pass. So we need to make sure that people's souls are taken care of. And so Jesus looks at Martha. He says, do you believe this? Are you on board? Are you persuaded by my words? And it seems like she is, she says, yes. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. We're going to see here in a second, though, that maybe her faith isn't as strong as she says. And again, I'm not picking on Martha. I've been a Martha many times. Martha reminds us of us. We often talk about the the people in the Bible like they're from like some distant universe, right? They were humans just like we are humans. They made mistakes just like they had doubts just like we have doubts. And Martha reminds us of us. Listen, She has a willingness to proclaim verbally all the great things God can do. But like I said earlier, she had a hard time applying it to herself. All day long, every day, people come into my office and we talk about how can I help them with this and what the Lord can do for them. And I tell them, man, God can help you. He can help your marriage. He can help your kids. He can help all these things. And I'm so on fire about it. And then something happens in my life and I'm like, God, what are you going to do? You know, and like, I think God can do amazing things with you guys, but sometimes I question if he can do it for me. And so I've been like Martha a million times in my Christian walk, and maybe you have too. So having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. As soon as she heard this, she got up and quickly went to meet him. Jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. So they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. And when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and he was deeply moved. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? So they start to head towards the tomb. Jesus is walking towards the tomb. Martha runs inside the house where Mary is and people are greeting her and, and grieving with her and consoling her. Says, hey, Jesus wants to see you. So, so Mary shoots out like lightning, right? Catches up with Jesus, Jesus and she says the exact same thing that Martha says. She says, if you just would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Listen, she says the same thing, but she comes at it from a completely different angle. The two sisters' interactions were, with Jesus were very different. Martha approached Jesus with a theological debate. She wanted to talk reason and intellect and logic. That's how she approached Jesus. Mary fell at the feet of Jesus. 
Martha was expecting something in the future. Mary was functioning on a present emotional level. Now listen, we see the importance of both of these things. We follow God logically, and we follow God with our brains and our minds, but we also follow him with our heart. We follow God with reason, but we also follow him with emotion. The Bible says it this way, we worship him in spirit, and we worship him in truth. And to go to one extreme or the other is bad. If we go to one extreme, we become hyper-spiritual, hyper-charismatic, you know, hyper and we don't use our brains, we're always just running off emotion, that's too far. Or we go the other way, where all we think is things logically, and we don't tap into the spirit, and that's too far. There is this place in the middle where we worship him in spirit, emotion, heart, and we worship him in truth, logic, reason, our mind. And we see this kind of weird extreme in these two women, these two sisters. So Jesus approaches the tomb and it says he's angry. Well, Jesus never gets angry. I can show you multiple times in the Bible where he gets angry. And this is one of those times he's upset. And it says he's deeply moved. What is he angry about? He's mad that sin had introduced death into humanity. This angered him. It angered him because he saw the pain that death caused. He saw these people who were crying and weeping and upset, and he was moved by that. And from this scene where people's hearts are broken, we get, look, the shortest passage in the entire Bible, the shortest passage in the entire Bible, all 66 books, but also one of the most powerful. And it is simply this, Jesus wept. This isn't one singular tear. This isn't him just being a little sad. He was probably buckled over grieving these deep guttural cries for his people and for the situation. Now, why is that so important to mention? Why did John word it in such a short but powerful way? Because it shows a side of God that no other God has ever shown, and that's the relational side. Study world religions. Study the gods of the Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans and even the modern day gods. They're not personal, they're distant, they're vengeful, they're angry. We're always walking a tightrope with those gods. They're way off somewhere else. And we don't see that with our God, with the Christian God, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came for many reasons, but one of the main reasons he came was to show us that God is not emotionally unattached from us. He's not distant, God is close to us. And the pain that mankind's ignorance and selfishness and rebellion has caused, it upsets God to the point of grieving. That when we are brokenhearted, it breaks Jesus's heart too. When we are joyous, Jesus celebrates with us. Why? Because he loves us. And he came to build the bridge to close the gap between a fallen humanity and a perfect God. Jesus has come to build this bridge in between us, to bring imperfection back in harmony with perfection. That's what he came to do. And so we see this emotional side of God in this moment. Jesus wept, okay? Last part. So then Jesus, angry in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he's already decaying. It's been four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, 
I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. And you have to wonder how many people passed out, right, at this sight. <laughs> so Jesus' emotions intensified the closer he got to the tomb. It said that Jesus was angry in himself. That means, again, back to the whole, he was angry that sin had come in and messed up humanity. And so he arrives at Lazarus's tomb and he's been in there for four days. Jesus walks up and says, hey, move the stone, right? Remove the stone. And Martha, just like we would have been, she was kind of in shock and in horror and steps back and goes, um, he's already rotting. Like, I think it's the King James says, he stinketh, right? Like, he already smells bad. This isn't good. And what we do is we come back to the overall theme of the entire book. Look at what Jesus says. He says, Martha, if you believe, you will see. And this is it. Our world, us, because we're human, right? We, we, this is how we think. If you show it to me, then I'll believe. And Jesus says, if you believe, then I'll show it to you. He says the exact opposite. So we go back to the fact that Jesus calls for faith first and sight later. Listen, not just faith. Our power is found, the power in Jesus Christ is not found solely in our belief, but acting on our belief. And how do we act on our belief? We pray. Jesus didn't have to pray. He and the Father were one. This is what Jesus essentially does. He's standing in front of the tomb and he says, hey God, I know you always hear me and I don't have to do this, but for their sake, I want to set an example so they know that you sent me. And so Jesus prays. He raises his eyes and prays for God to resurrect the dead. And Jesus sets an example for the crowd through belief, through prayer, and this miraculous thing that's about to take place. And what we see is prayer and the miraculous are to focus and glorify God. Here's where we mess up on prayer. And we're just being honest. I do it too. 95% of all the prayers that you and I pray are about us. What we need, what's going on with us, you know, what mistakes we've made, all these things, it's about us. And that is not biblical prayer. I know that might hurt some feelings. But when we look at Jesus's prayer, right, the Lord's prayer, and when we look at the Old Testament, guys like Solomon and Moses who wrote down their prayer, Solomon's prayer, I think it's in 1 Kings 8. I could be wrong about that. That's a great example of a prayer though. And what we see in those prayers, especially Jesus's, the Lord's prayer, is it goes something like this. First, we are told to honor God, praise God, glorify God, right? We thank you. You're amazing. You're the God that created everything. Then we're called to repent for our sins. Then we're called to pray for other people. And then lastly, it's us. We've somehow put ourselves at the top of our prayer list and it's become mostly about us. And it's not mostly about us. It's about him. It's about others. And then eventually it comes down to us, okay? So what we see at the end of this part that we're studying is, is that modeling the faith works. Jesus's prime objective was souls, and he wanted to bring people into a faith in him. And he did this by modeling the way to live. We talked about this last week, and I'm sarcastic when I talk about this. 
We think in Christianity that growing the kingdom of God is, you know, having Santa Clauses jump out of a helicopter and throw money down on everyone during Christmas and all these shenanigans and coming up with, you know, 50 shades of grace or, you know, some kind of cheesy sermon series. That was funny too, guys. You guys are really <laughs> slacking today. I'm throwing out some pretty sharp stuff. Um, <laughs> there you go. And so we think that growing the kingdom of God is just like growing a big church. And, and, and the way we grow the kingdom of God, truly grow the kingdom of God, is just so simple. We live like Jesus. We just try to act like him and talk like him and respond like him and teach people like him. And I know it's, 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 it's cliche and we kind of overused it, but the whole like, what would Jesus do thing, right? I know it was a cheesy bracelet that somebody made a lot of money off of once upon a time, but it's actually a pretty good standard. In every situation, we should step back and go, God, how would you handle this? And so if we would just talk like Jesus, respond, reach out, empathize, encourage, listen, care for, correct, and teach like him, we will grow the kingdom of God. It's by action. It's by living like him. That's how we advance the kingdom. And we also see the power of God in this chapter. We've seen in this chapter that Jesus is our friend. Multiple times in the gospel it says this, that he is a friend that sticks closer to a brother. He's a friend that cries with us, laughs with us, loves us. Jesus is our lifestyle, which means he's the model by which we are to live. We also see that Jesus is our power, right? He has the power to raise the dead. And we see this when he looks at the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. Um, guys, imagine that scene. Imagine how dramatic, this may be one of the most dramatic scenes in the entire New Testament, maybe besides the cross and some stuff in Revelation, but this is a very vivid thing. Imagine being there and this guy comes out, he would have had to be like hopping out because he's bound hand and foot. He looked like a mummy bouncing out of this tomb and he's alive after four days. Imagine the shock of this. Imagine everyone just being like, oh, the breath. And Jesus says, hey, someone cut him loose. He probably wants to hug his loved ones, right? Cut him loose. And it's amazing. This is profound. And so we see God's power. And God has this power. Jesus has this power because he is the God of the past. He is the God of the present right now, and he is also the God of the future. How do we know that? The Bible says it. It says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation in Colossians, right? When we read Genesis 1 and 2, that was Jesus, right? When we read about Abraham being visited by someone before he goes into uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, that was Jesus. When we hear about someone who is there before everything, that was Jesus. He is the creator God. It says it multiple times in the book of John that he was the first thing and that everything began through him. We also know that Jesus is the God of the present, right? That he helps us right now in our current situation. And because he helps us now, that sets us up for the future and eternity with him. Past, present, future. Jesus is our creator. He's our friend. He's our source of strength so we can make it through the present right now and we can be set up for the future. But the only way this is going to happen is as if we're awake, if we're alert. We can't go through this life asleep or dead. Now, why is it so hard for us to live an awakened life? Why is it so hard for us to not be docile or apathetic or overwhelmed by fear or depression or why is it so hard for us to truly live? Let's just talk real, guys. A lot of us have an issue with what we've done in the past. We can never move forward. We can never be present now, let alone the future, but we can never be present now because we're so fixated on the past. 
We live in a culture now that finds identity in their past. Hashtag depressed, right? Or hashtag abused. Hashtag or whatever has been done to me. Not only what we've done wrong, but we want to hold on to the things that have been done to us. And when we do that, we can't move forward. We cannot be present. And so that's camp number one, right? Those that cannot get over the past. The other camp are Christians who all they do is focus on the future. Should we talk about heaven? Yes. I love reading the book of Revelation. I love talking about the promises that God has for us in the future. But some of us as Christians, we think that God's going to zap us out of this life before the crap hits the fan, right? So we don't have to deal with the messes of humanity. I don't believe in that theology. I believe we're here because God called us to be the salt and the light, that we're here to get our hands dirty. The light is only effective when it's in the middle of darkness. And we have this bad theology that we think we're just going to be zapped away. and We're not going to have to deal with any of the messes of humanity. And we keep talking about the future so much that we're missing the present. We're talking about heaven so much that we're forgetting that maybe our neighbors aren't going to go there. That our schools are broken, that our families are broken, that our marriages are broken. Man, Christianity's broken. And we're so busy waiting for God to take us out of this earth that we forgot that we were called to make this earth better. And we're missing right now. We're missing it. So some of us, it's our past that's messing us up. Others of us, it's the fact that we're not thinking about the present. We're just thinking about the future. So Jesus gives us a hope for a better future, right? He takes away the past. But because the Holy Spirit is available for us now, guys, we can see a change now. We can see the family unit get stronger now. We can see more people be fed and clothed in more social gospel and more of us reaching out to communities around us. We can see a change now. We can see these things happen. Why can we see that now? Because Jesus died on the cross, because his Holy Spirit was poured out and all of those that call in his name are filled with that spirit now. So we can see a present change. Will it take some work? Sure. Will it take some time? Sure. But we have the power of God in us. The same power that told Lazarus to come out now lives inside of you and I. And we've somehow got it in our skull that we can't make an impact. Of course we can. Of course we can. And we live in a culture that exudes not only death. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. We're a culture that glorifies violence and death and darkness, right? It's our most popular music. It's our most popular TV shows. It's our most popular movies that exudes death, that is so grim and hopeless and dark. We exude this. Not only death, we exude apathy. We exude distraction. We exude, you do it your way, right? Don't be concerned that there's homeless in our community. They're not in your neighborhood, so don't worry about it. Don't worry that there's starving kids in other nations. You'll never go there. You'll never see that. It's okay. We're good. Don't worry about the fact that there's all this brokenness. Don't worry about those things. And we live in a culture that pushes us. We live in a Christian culture that does this. We got a big, nice building. There's a lot of people here this weekend. We're fine. Let's, let's put it on cruise control. And so what we do is we fail to be alert. We fail to be on our A game. We fail to be awake because we're not connected with the Holy Spirit. Listen, you need to be connected with Jesus every single day. Corey, are you telling me we have to pray every day? Yes, I'm telling you that. Corey, are you saying that we have to read our Bible every day? Yes. Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why? 
Because 1 Peter 5, 8 says this. It says, be sober, be alert, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion looking for those he can devour. So, when we're on vacation and we think we can hit the pause button on our faith, hey, I just got drunk this one night. You know a marriage can be torn down in one night. Do you know relationships can be torn down in one night? Do you know in one night, someone can hop in a car intoxicated, drive off their side of the interstate into another one, hit a kid named Shiloh Foster, who was a good friend of mine, and kill him instantly as he was coming home from church? Do you know that that can happen? In one night, in one momentary pause of our faith, it opens a door for an adversary that wants nothing else but to destroy your marriage, your home, your nuclear family, your relationship with God, your cities, your governments, your economics. He just needs one little opening, and when he finds it, he pounces because he hates you, and he hates your contentment. Why must we be sober? Why does the Bible talk about it many times? Why does the Bible talk about that we must alert, we must have our eyes open, we must be connected? Because we have an enemy. Because there is something that is coming against you. And if you're not watching, it can get us. Do you have to be connected with him every day? Absolutely. Every day. Every day, every day. Our faith is not a weekend thing. It is every day. Are we gonna slip up? Are we gonna have low times? Yes, I'm not unreasonable. But we've got to go back to the source. We've got to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. We've got to tap into him. If we're gonna truly find contentment, regardless of the circumstances, if we're truly going to have healthy relationships, healthy communities, We've got to be plugged into him. We've got to be plugged into him every single day, every day. I wanna challenge you, I wanna challenge you. If you don't have a prayer life, make a prayer life. Even if it's 10 minutes when you wake up, be intentional, pick up one of these forms. We have forms at the connection desk and in the prayer room, pick those up, fill it out. On your way to work, turn off your radio and maybe listen to a podcast about church history or turn on bot radio and listen to a sermon or just turn it all off and talk to the Lord. Make it a routine, make it a part of your life, not just for you. Man, make it a part for your marriage, make it a part for your kids. Make it apart because there's a world that is dark. And listen, Jesus, we know because the Bible says, until he comes back, and when he comes back, it's going to be too late. Jesus isn't going to manifest himself again in flesh and bone and go save the world for you. He told us to do it. If you're sick of seeing a broken world, the only one we have to blame is us. It's not the government's fault. It's not the school system's fault. It's not economics' fault. It's my fault. It's my fault that my neighborhood looks the way it does. It's my fault that things aren't different. We must be alert. We must be awake. We must be tapped into the Holy Spirit because it's our responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's us. It's us. Every day. Every day. Every day. Listen, and I'll close with this. There are some of you in this room that you have not grown in your faith, or maybe you haven't come into your faith at all because you don't think you're good enough. 
I had a woman come up to me last night, and I won't embarrass you by telling her name. Such a sweet woman. She told me about something she did 33 years ago. And I said, can I please pray for you? And she says, I'm not worthy. I don't, no, you can't pray for me. And she walked away and I, I, I said, I'm gonna pray for you anyways. You're gonna be on my board. I'm gonna pray for you every day. But she couldn't let go of something that she did 33 years ago. And if we have those chains shackled to us, we can't move forward. Here's the beauty about our past. I don't care what you've done and, and, and I care what's been done to you, but I kind of don't care what's been done to you. We all have scars. We've all been hurt. We've all been kicked. We all have bruises. We all have wounds. There's got to come a time where we have to take responsibility, take our past to the Father and say, God, forgive me for what I've done. Go to other people that maybe we've offended and say, please forgive me from what I've done. And we have to move forward. And God can do that. You know what the Bible says about our sin when we ask for forgiveness? It says that God throws it into the deep sea. It also says that our sin is as far away as the east is from the west. That if we can simply come to him with humility and say, I'm sorry, God says, all is forgiven. Your past is no more a chain to hold you back. We can do that that quickly today. Some of us have been so focused on our future, right? What God's going to do one day, like Martha, right? One day God's going to do something great. We've talked about one day so long that we've missed right now. One day my marriage is going to be better. One day I'll start that ministry. One day I'll get to know my neighbors. And Jesus is saying, why isn't that today? Right now, right now, the present. Some of us need to live in the present right now, right now. And some of us just need to just buckle down and create a prayer life and a Bible reading life. And we need to go to him every single day. God, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. We just need to create that life. If you're here and you are not a believer, I don't know what your contentment level is right now, but I know what mine was before I became a believer. If there's anything I've spoken today that, that, that has provoked any thought in you or interest in you, send us an email or come by and talk to one of us on staff or something or come up and talk to the people who pray at the end of this or, or just keep looking for the truth and God will show himself to you. Any of you who are hung up on your past, I want to encourage you and challenge you. Don't leave here with that crap today. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to forgive you and let him take that. Listen, you may need to go clean up some messes you've made outside of these walls. You may need to call some people and ask for their forgiveness. You may need to humble yourself a little bit, but don't leave here with all that garbage. Don't leave here with all that weight on you. That's silly. You don't have to do that. You forgive people. Let them forgive you. Let Jesus forgive you. And for the rest of us, some of us just need to buckle down and do what we know is right. We pray, we read, we attend church, we get involved, bare bones, basic stuff, and we will see God do amazing things around us. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As you guys have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, there'll be people on my right and left who would love to pray for you. If you have any need, it doesn't have to be anything related to today. If you have any need, let them pray for you, please. There's communion all the way around this room, on all the tables, all the way around this room. You're welcome to help yourself to that. It represents the body and blood of Jesus. The only, the only thing you have to do before you take communion is you have to ask God to forgive you. That's biblical. 
And when you take communion today, remember this. Jesus died on the cross so his spirit could be poured out and we can be filled with it. And when we're filled with his spirit, we can make it. We can weather life's storms. We can find contentment and joy now. We can positively affect the world around us because God is in us. That's what that communion represents. It's more than just the crucifixion, it's the resurrection. It's his Holy Spirit. So you're welcome to help yourself to that. You're welcome to help yourself to prayer. You're welcome to help yourself to pray with each other if you feel so inclined. And please be respectful of those. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. For everyone in this room this morning, Father, I pray that you bless them. Jesus, right now in your name, God, for anyone who is holding on to the chains of the past, I pray right now that you start to break those. I pray right now that you start to bring weight off people's shoulders, that you start to give them a taste of freedom. And when they taste freedom, God, they're going to want more freedom. And we can only find that in you. Lord, if we've only focused on the future and we've neglected the present, forgive us. And Lord, let us get to work doing what you want us to do. Fill us with your spirit. Give us a hunger for a deeper prayer life and a deeper life of reading the Bible, God. Lord, connect us, Jesus, because you have called us to go out and to love and to be the ambassadors for you. Lord, let us understand that responsibility. We love you. We thank you. We lift you up, God. You're everything, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys to death. You're welcome to help yourself to prayer, communion all around you. Again, please be respectful of those around you.